our hearts will be open. Your Holy Spirit will move in our lives in a way that glorifies you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I noticed that uh, the people of uh, the Carolina Conference, they all have red shirts. So luckily, my wife said, this will look good on you. She didn't know anything about the red shirt everybody is wearing. So I wanted to blend in as much as I can with the rest of them. I also, I went for a prayer walk this morning, and I noticed an interesting thing. I was looking at the, the plates of the cars, and except for one, every other car came from North Carolina. Only one car came from South Carolina. So how many of you come from the north? Let me see your, look at, look at that. Okay, how many of you come from South Carolina? You see, I, 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 the only car I saw was yours. <laughs> Everybody else came from North Carolina. Yeah. How many of you came to know Jesus this year? Let me see your hand. You came, to, uh, you came to know Jesus this year? You're so I have four. How many last year? How many more than two years? The rest, of course. Yeah. I really have appreciated the wonderful messages that we have heard through the song. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I was lifted up uh, to be closer to the throne of grace as a result of that. Many of you have come to me and asked me about uh, where I am from. So I say, I come from Michigan. They said, no, where do you come from? We would like to know more about it. So actually, uh, I'm going to tell you how I came to know Jesus. I was born in the city of Nineveh. I am the product of Jonah. How many of you know the story of Jonah in the Bible? The story of the whale and Jonah. Uh, well, that is my hometown. My home was 10 kilometers, that's six miles from the grave of Jonah. And the grave of Jonah is at the heart of the downtown area of the city of Nineveh. Does anybody here know the modern name for the city of Nineveh? Uh, we should give him a book, a, a free book uh, for knowing Mosul. Mosul is uh, the name of the modern city. Let me show you some slides about the area. If you could put uh, the slides from Iraq. Okay, here it is. This is uh, the political map of Iraq. And in the north, right here, is Mosul. Turkey is right here. Syria is right here. This area is Kurdistan, and the rest is Iraq. Iraq uh, is very rich in Bible archaeology. 
Did you know that Abraham came from this city, Nasiriya? And Babylon is about 60 miles to the west of Baghdad, right here. And uh, Nasiriya is where they invented writing. And in Nasiriya is the first laws outside of the Bible came in. Does anybody remember the name of the king who put those laws together? Hamrabi. And he came from this area here, Nasiriya. But in the north, where I come from, is where the Assyrian were. And that is a mountainous area. This is uh, uh, the state of Nineveh. And I wanted to show you this to see that Nineveh is the Arabic name. And the name of the state, it's a large state, is called the state of Nineveh. About 4 million people live in that state. Here it is. This is one of the first recorded writing in history. And this is a map for the whole area to give you a context. Uh, this is the entrance to the city of Babylon. And this is the gate of Ashtar. Actually, this is a fake one. The original one is in the museum in Berlin. And here are the walls of the city of Nineveh. These walls are 2,700 years old, and they are still standing up to now. You see all of these uh, walls, uh, six gates, museums. This is Nineveh, the way it looked like at the time of Jonah. All of this was destroyed by ISIS. ISIS occupied the city for approximately four years, and they destroyed everything. All of the churches, all of the museums, all of the artifacts. And Nineveh is where all of the Christian in Iraq come from. And Jonah came from Joppa. He was supposed to go to Nineveh. The distance to Nineveh is about 1,000 kilometers. He ended up going to Tarshish. And God still found him, even though he was thousands of miles away. This is the grave of Jonah. All of the people who lived in the state of Nineveh, all of them, every year, were required to fast and pray in honor of Jonah. And that is amazing, especially in the light that 99% of them are Muslims. But they are all required to do it. Uh, the, uh, the grave was originally a Nestorian church. Nestorian are offshoot of the Orthodox church. And then it became a mosque. The Muslim took it over and converted it to a mosque, and they built this minaret. And then it became a museum because the government wanted to preserve it. And it's no more. ISIS destroyed it. They bombed it and was gone. ISIS, when they entered into the city of Mosul, they were 35,000 Christians. 
and they identified them, and they put the letter N on all of them. That's N in Arabic. N stands for Nazarene. And they gave them two options. You either leave the city or convert to Islam. All of them left the city. They left walking because they confiscated their cars, their furniture, their belonging, their money. They walked approximately 300 kilometers to another city called Arbil where they took refuge. Nine people only converted to Islam. Uh, the Christian community today in Iraq is approximately 500,000 in a population of 40 million. Only 500,000. About 60% of them Catholic, 40% of them Orthodox. And this is an Orthodox church in Baghdad. And this is the only, that's it, only one Seventh-day Adventist church in the whole country. In a country of 40 million people. The church was bombed eight times. So now they have the deacons protecting it. And you thought being a deacon was a hard job. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Those are soldiers from the government assigned to protect the church. But those here are deacons who patrol the church and report to the government if there is any suspicious activities. The story I'm going to share with you happened approximately 40 years ago. Started to unfold 40 years ago. It didn't happen in Nineveh. My father was a businessman who wanted to expand his businesses. So he moved the family from Nineveh to Baghdad. And that's where the story started to, to unfold. So one day, my cousin and I decided to take a walk to explore the city of Baghdad. We were new to it. And we ended up being at this church. And the result, I was beaten almost to death by my family. I was abandoned by them. I was thrown out on the street. I lost two years of schooling and a scholarship that covered four years. That was 40 years ago. But 10 years ago, I discovered I am alive today because of that experience. And the Lord kept giving me wonderful blessings I never expected. One of them happened just approximately two years ago. The theme is that when we are faithful to God, he will make all things to work for good for us. I'm going to share with you the story as a new Christian. I'm going to share with you some lessons of what you can do to remain always faithful to God toward the end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you that uh, you lead and guide in our lives. You are a wonderful God. And as we see how you work in the life of one individual, that's really the way 
how you work in all of our lives. I did my best to prepare, but the power comes from you. The conviction only comes from you. And I'm praying that at the end we will all stand in awe of how great and awesome God you are. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a young man, I wanted to be a professional soccer player. And my idol in life was Pelé. How many of you remember that name? Look at that. So many old people we have over here. <laughs> so one afternoon, I called my cousin. And I asked him to come over to my house so we could practice soccer. My cousin was a weird individual because he was the only person in the whole country who did not appreciate soccer. So we played for 20 minutes, and he said, I am done. So I said, what do you want to do? I felt an obligation toward him. He said, let's go for a walk to explore this new city, Baghdad. And we started walking on the streets of Baghdad. And by divine appointment, we came to this church. In Iraq, you cannot do any form of evangelism. You can't even have a meeting like this. You can't have public evangelism. You cannot preach. You cannot have personal evangelism. But the pastor of this church was creative. So he decided to show a movie about the life of Christ. And he had an advertisement by the gate of the church, smaller than my Bible inviting people to go in and watch the movie. My cousin saw this ad. By the way, if it was any bigger than this, the pastor would have been arrested and put in jail. But he was praying that somebody will see it and will go in and watch the movie. And my cousin was the one who saw it. And he looked at me and he said, we don't have anything to do. Let's go in and watch the movie. Maybe we will learn something in you. And we went in, and we sat on this side of the church. And for the first time in my life, I saw Jesus on the screen. I saw his life, his miracles, his teaching. And I, I really saw the love coming out of him. I, I saw his death, the power of his resurrection, and I fell in love with him. My heart started leaping inside of me. I was moved. I was amazed. So at the end of the movie, I went to the pastor, and I asked him if I could learn more about Jesus. Later on, I learned that this man was the pastor of this church for 28 years. But I was the first Bible study he ever have had from outside of the church. Imagine, 28 years of discouragement. I made his career for him. He will never forget me. And we had a wonderful time learning about Jesus and studying the Bible. About five months. I didn't know anything. So he had to start all the way from the beginning to teach me what I know, what I know today. And uh, 
one day, I went to the church. I used to go to the church on a Tuesday afternoon. I would finish my schooling. I get on the bus and go to the church. And uh, that Tuesday, five months later, we did not have a Bible study. He said to me, you have been coming here for months. It's time for you to make a decision for Christ. That was very hard for me. Because I grew up in a culture, if you change your faith, they kill you. If they don't kill you, they persecute you, they ostracize you, they shun you, they make your life miserable for you. So I, I didn't want any of that stuff to happen to me. So I quit the Bible study. But praise the Lord, he never gave up on me. Every day I felt the nudging of the Holy Spirit. So finally I had to surrender. So I went back again to learn more about Jesus. And this time, we had a Bible study on the Ten Commandments. I didn't have any problem with the Ten Commandments, except one of them. And as you know, it is the Sabbath one. The reason I had a problem with it is because the day off in Iraq is Friday. And everybody is forced to go to school, to go to work on the Sabbath. Ironically, I grew up in a language, we don't have names for the days of the week. So Sunday, we call it the first day. Monday, we call it the second day. The only one that had a name was the seventh one, and we called it the Sabbath. And in Arabic, it's uh, pronounced Sabbath. Same. And everybody knew it was a day of rest. Uh, the Bible study was very simple. He said, God kept it. Jesus kept it. The disciples kept it. We're going to keep it in heaven. Why don't we keep it now? That made perfect sense. But my problem was, what about my future? I would never be able to finish my schooling. I would never be able to have a job. So I was very, very disturbed. I left the Adventist church, and I said to myself, I need a second opinion. So I went and visited with a Greek Orthodox pastor. After I explained to him my dilemma, he lifted up the Bible like this, and he said, if you go by the Bible, you need to keep the seven-day Sabbath holy. I wanted to strangle this man. I said, this is not what I wanted to hear from you. Incidentally, even up to today, there are pockets in the Middle East of the Orthodox Church who still either keep the Sabbath or at least believe in keeping it. So a few weeks later, I decided to go and visit with a Catholic priest. He said, well, we changed the day. I wanted a biblical answer. So a few weeks later, I went and visited with the Presbyterian pastor. At that time, the Presbyterian were the largest Protestant denomination in Iraq. 
not a lot of Protestant, maybe 10,000. Uh, today, it probably is more the Baptist or the Evangelical. The Presbyterian Church was right here. And be known to me, the Adventist pastor befriended the Presbyterian pastor. And for Christmas, he gave him a gift. It was a book. The name of the book was The Great Controversy. He read the book. So when I met with him, he said, I have been struggling with this myself. And I have come to the conclusion that we really need to keep the seven-day Sabbath holy. I said, this is not what I came to hear from you. Tell me something different. Well, praise the Lord, this Presbyterian pastor, who at that time had the largest Protestant church in the country, became an Adventist. He studied the Bible. He learned about the truth and about the Sabbath. And I witnessed his baptism. Well, um, when I left him, I said to myself, what difference does it make? Just pick a day and worship God on it. But the Holy Spirit reminded me that we are in the mess we are in today because two people. So what difference does it make if you eat out of this tree or that tree? They all are trees. It's not about the tree. It's not even about the day. It's about our love and allegiance and loyalty to Jesus. Well, I graduated from high school at that time. And Iraq had a system. You graduate from high school, and if you score high enough, you're eligible to take another exam. And if you score really high, like in the 90 percentage and higher, you get to go to any college of your choice for free. But there was a catch to this. If you score 70 or below, you go to the army. When nobody wants to go to the army in a country like this. I took my chances. I went and uh, studied for three, four months to get ready for this test. I took the test, and I scored high enough to go to the School of Engineering for free for four years. I wanted to be an engineer from the day I was born. Not because I have any passion for engineering. They just make more money than anybody else. And I really wanted to make more money than anybody else. But it was not a good thing for me. Because for a whole year while I was at the university, I didn't go to church. I didn't read the Bible. I only prayed when I had some exams, when I felt I really needed the Lord. Well, fast forward with me to the end of the school year. At the university in Baghdad, there was a tradition. All of the exams come on one day. Guess which day it was? The Sabbath day. You start at 9 in the morning and you go to 6 in the evening. And you are done in one day. Well, something very unusual happened the Sunday before that. 
My mother was a casual Christian. But one thing was very clear about my mother. She was very consistent about her church attendance. My mother went to church twice a year, Christmas and Easter. But because of the celebration at her church, the Sunday before my final exam, she wanted to go, not really for anything except to see her friend. And as you know, it's hard to go when you are not in the habit of going every week. So she came to me and asked me to go to church with her. I came up with every excuse not to go to church. And I failed. And uh, I don't know whether it was to get her off my back. Or to please her, I said, Mom, I would go to church with you. Fine. So we went to church. The place was jam-packed. It's a cathedral. We sat in the back. And uh, they went through one hour of ritual. I don't know how many of you have been in an Orthodox church. But it's very similar to the Catholic. And there's a lot of ritual. And then the pastor came to preach. He looked at the crowd, maybe 3,000 people were there. And he said, my heart is troubled. He said, something happened to me last night that never have happened to me before. He said, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night and gave me a new message to give to you. And the new message is on martyrdom, which is dying for Jesus. He said, I don't know why God wants me to preach on this topic, but I have to because he asked me to do it. Now, for somebody like me who have not been to church for a whole year, this is the last topic I wanted to hear anything about. I mean, you want to go to church to hear more about faith or hope, not about death. But that sermon that day changed my life forever. I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 19. Every one of you, have asked this question in one way or another. It's a question that Peter asked, but we also have asked it. Notice, Matthew 19, then 27 to 29. Matthew 19, 27 to 29. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all. We have left everything behind us, our homes, our associations, and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? He's asking about what will be the reward, the consequences of following you. Notice the answer Jesus gives him. 28, assuredly I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is really the main text. And everyone who has left houses. Maybe some of you might have to leave your houses in order to follow Jesus. Sometimes when you follow Jesus, you might have to leave your brother 
or your sister. Or your father and mother. Or wife and husband. That's what Jesus is saying. Sometimes when you follow me, you have to do these things. He's saying sometimes when you follow me, you, you have to leave your house, your bank account, your car. And then you shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life if you do it for Jesus. And this is how his sermon went. He said, out of love for us, Jesus did the ultimate sacrifice. He left heaven, became one of us, lived with us, ministered to us. And went all the way to the cross and died for us. The ultimate demonstration of love. Shouldn't we, out of love for him, do the same? The disciples have to leave their homes. Moms and dads. Children. I cannot ever imagine leaving my children. But sometimes if you follow Jesus, you have to do that. And, and uh, many of them gave their lives for Jesus. They are our example. We need to do the same. I'm sitting in church with 3,000 people. And I felt God's presence in such a way I have never felt it before. I felt he was inside of me, all around me. I felt like heaven was opened up. And I saw Jesus sitting on the throne loving me. And I started to cry. I was really moved by that sermon. And at that moment, I decided I would give my heart to Jesus. I had been struggling with this. But at that moment, I felt, this is it. I need to do it. Well, the worship service was over. I looked at my mom, and I said to her, you visit with your friend, and then you go home, and I will see you there later on. And I left the Orthodox Church. And I start walking on the streets of Baghdad, filled with fear of what will happen to me if I follow Jesus. I might die. I, I will lose everything. I will never have any future. Five hours later, I ended up being at the home of the Seventh-day Adventist pastor. I told him about the sermon I heard. I told him about my decision to follow Jesus. But I told him about my fears. He said, let me tell you a story. A story that happened just about 60 miles from my home in Baghdad. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of you know this story? King Nebuchadnezzar built a statue. And he told the people in his kingdom, when you hear the music, you bow down and worship me. And everybody did, except for three people. So they brought them into the king, and the king said, look, I'm going to give you another chance. When you hear the music, you bow down and worship me. They said, oh king, we know our God 
is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, even for some reason he chooses not to, we will still worship him. So the king made the fire seven times more hot. And they threw those three people into the fire. Listen to the insight the pastor shared with you. He said, those three friends prayed that God will deliver them from the fire. But God, in his infinite wisdom, decided to deliver them in the fire. He said, think about it this way. Because God delivered them in the fire, they had the greatest worship experience of their life. Right there in the fire, Jesus showed up. And they worshipped him. They walked with him. And because God decided to save them in the fire, they experienced the power of God. Did you know that the Bible tells us the people who threw them into the fire got evaporated from the intensity of the heat, but nothing happened to them? What a powerful testimony. Not, the Bible says not even the smell of smoke was on them. And because God decided to deliver them in the fire, they became an inspiration to all of us. Here we are, thousands of miles away. 2,600 years from the time it happened. But we are telling their story today. And then the pastor said to me, you don't have to fear the future. Because the same God will be with you. And then he said, God is speaking to you. You need to respond to him. I said, I want to. Well, he said, pray after me and give your heart to Jesus. And I prayed and I gave my heart to Jesus. Something I have never felt sorry about, ever was the best thing that I ever have done in my life. And then the pastor said, it's time for you to get baptized. I said, I want to. He said, well, let's do it next Sabbath. As I was leaving, he said, I'm going to get the whole church to pray for you, that God will deliver you from the fire, but be prepared to go into the fire. The following Sabbath came. Exams will start at 9 o'clock. Baptism, 11.30. I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I heard a voice saying, look, you have broken thousands of Sabbaths before. One more is not going to make much difference. But then I heard the voice of God say, it's not about the Sabbath. It's about me. How much you trust in me. And then I heard the other voice saying, you don't want to lose a whole year just because of a few hours. And then I heard the voice of God say, it's not about a year, it's about eternity. What we deal with has eternal values and consequences. And then I heard the other voice saying, just go do it. God will understand. And then I heard the voice of God saying, just trust in me. I will carry you through 
I kept struggling all the way from 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and about 11 o'clock, God gave me the victory. And I decided I would follow Jesus no matter what. So I got out of bed, put some clothes on, and I ran to the church. The worship service was over. But most of the people were still out in the foyer. So they brought them back in, and we had the baptism. I lost the year. But I gained Jesus. And that's really what's important in life. I lost the second year for the same reason. I pleaded with my professors to allow me to take the exams on a different day. They wouldn't do it. And because I lost two years, I lost the scholarship. The government felt like I was too dumb to spend any more money on. And I was kicked out of the university. When my dad saw what's happening to me, he brought 100 people from my family into our living room in Baghdad, a large room. He used it for entertaining clients and stuff like that. And I was standing right here in this huge room surrounded by 100 people who came to talk me out of being faithful to God. They would never have come if I was criminal or on drugs. And they all talked about what I am doing at the same time and trying to talk me out of it. And then when my dad saw that I was not going to change my mind, he took off his shoes and threw them on me, which in the Middle East represent inflicting shame on that individual. If you remember when President Bush went to Iraq a few years ago, they did the same thing to him. Dad gave permission to one of my brothers and one of my cousins who came and lifted me up by my shoulders, and the rest started beating on me. I was like a cancer. I was uh, the ultimate source of shame for my family, and shame is never tolerated in that culture. Eventually, I started bleeding. I became unconscious. And they thought I was dead, and they threw me out on the street. But the Lord had a purpose for me. Uh, he spared my life. A few minutes later, I came back to consciousness. And I looked up into the skies, and I said, Lord, I feel since I decided to follow you, I lost everything. He said, maybe, but now you got me. And if, if you have Jesus, that's all what you need in your life. I, I said, Lord, I feel like since I've decided to follow you, the whole world is against me. And not only that, but I lost everything. I lost my scholarship. I lost my schooling. I almost lost my life. And I, I heard his voice saying to me, maybe, but I'm going to give you something better. When we are in the arms of Jesus, we always have something better. We always have Jesus. We always have the privilege of spending eternity with him. I'm lying on the ground, bleeding everywhere, looking up into the sky. And I'm dialoguing with the Lord. And I, w when he said to me, 
Maybe you lost everything, but now you got me. This tremendous peace came to me. In this church, at that time, there were approximately 200 people. But in that mix, there was a young couple who took an interest in me. They were newlywed. They were probably in their late 20s. Every time I went to church, they would come and talk to me. They ministered to me. They took me over to their home to eat with them. They were my mentors, really. So I decided to go to their home, and they were wonderful people. They took me in. They ministered to me. And every day, we would read the Bible, and we would pray and claim promises from the Bible. There was one promise that we claim every night. This is the one we read over and over. I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to Romans 8, 28. I'm sure all of you know this. It's a favorite among all Christians. Romans 8, 28. And we know that how many things? Can we say it with enthusiasm? All of us. How many things? All things work for good for those who love Jesus. I want you to remember that when bad things happen to you. It's interesting, I want to tell you, that the Greek does not say we know. The Greek says we are convinced beyond any shadow of doubt that all things work together for good for those who love God. The Apostle Paul is extremely emphatic about it. Well, this family said to me, you don't have any future in Iraq. You need to go to Middle East College in Beirut, Lebanon. It's a small Adventist college. I applied to go. I couldn't go because it was not accredited. And at that time, the war between the Arab countries and Israel started, and Iraq being part of the Arab countries started to draft people to go and fight against Israel. And one day, I got the letter in the mail that I needed to report for duty in the army in six weeks. It was the most horrible day of my life. I mean, this is the death sentence. My father at that time, and you, I was alive and living with this family. So he also wrote me a letter. He said, if I renounce my faith, he will accept me back home. And he will find a way for me to leave the country and go to Europe to study and avoid the army. I was very tempted to take my dad up on his offer. But praise the Lord for the community of faith who prayed for me, who encouraged me to stay faithful to God. Did you know that in the Bible, between Jesus and Paul, 65 times, that's a lot, 65 times we are told to pray for one another. And my friends, I want to tell you, some of you are new in your faith. Some of you maybe a year or two. Or some of you more than that. But learn to build community in the church. Learn to pray and have other people pray for you. The reason I am standing here in front of you today is because 
my church in Baghdad prayed for me to stay faithful to God. And we need to do the same for all of us. Every one of us have that responsibility. 65 times we are told to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to forgive one another. Well, my neighbor, who was my best friend, got a letter similar to the one I got. But he was a little bit older than me, so he went to the army right away. And in less than one week, the news came back, he was killed. He died in the war. So they had a memorial service for him. And my mom went to that service. And she was emotionally moved. She came back home and she said to my dad, I don't care whatever my son is. I just want to see him. Well, it took some convincing, but finally my dad accepted me back home. First night, I was at home. I was asleep in my bedroom, which was on the second story of my house. When the brother and the cousin who lifted me up by my shoulders came to me, woke me up, dragged me out of bed, and took me outside and said, we're going to take you to the park. And they held on to my arm so I would not run away from them. We got to the park. By the time we got to the park, it was midnight, pitch dark, no light, no people. And we got to the middle of the park and they stopped. So I said, this is the end. I was anticipating a knife stab or a shot. Five minutes, nothing happened. Ten minutes, nothing. Finally, my cousin broke the silence. He said, look, you are either crazy to go through what you went through, or you have something we would like to have. That gave me the opportunity of sharing my faith with my brother and with my cousin. We were there till six in the morning. Six in the morning, my brother gave his heart to Jesus. My brother was so excited about finding Jesus, he went home and led his wife to Christ. And then he led my other brother and his family to Jesus. And my cousin, later on, became the pastor of this church. We do have a God who can take care of us and makes all things to work for good for those who love him. Always remain faithful to him, no matter what. Um, they live in a terrible situation. It's not safe at all. So I have been praying for my two brothers to come over here. And two years ago, October, I met my brother for the first time after not seeing him for 38 years at the airport in Kalamazoo, Michigan, he and his family. I know God answer prayers, my friends. I know that beyond any shadow of doubt. I've been praying for my other brother to come here. Pray for the little church that remain over there. Pray for the people who stay there. It's 
very difficult situation that God will sustain you. I still have to tell you how I'm alive today. But listen to this story. The family I was staying with said, look, we still have to solve the problem of the army. If you stay in Iraq, you have to go to the army. But if you go outside to study, you could avoid the army. And then they said this. For 40 years, the church in Baghdad have been trying to get Middle East College to be accredited, and they failed. They tried bribery, connection, influence, nothing worked. So somebody said, why don't we try prayer? <laughs> Not that they didn't pray before, but they wanted to pray with passion, with earnestness. So approximately 50 people went into the basement of this church on Friday afternoon, and being influenced by the story of Jonah, they stayed there till Sunday afternoon. They prayed, they fasted, they worshiped God. And I cannot explain this to you. Nobody in the world will be able to explain this to you. On a Tuesday of that same week, they got the news from the government that Middle East College was accredited. 40 years of a human effort failed and failed miserably. But when God's people prayed about it, God did it. My advice to you, don't even wait for 40 seconds before you present your needs to the Lord. He will take care of you. And because of that, I was able to go to Middle East College to study and avoid the army. But as soon as I arrived in Beirut, the civil war started. I had nothing to do with it. It was just a coincidence that started after I arrived. So somebody came to me and said, do you still want to be an engineer? I said, yes. He said, go to Walla Walla College. Do we have anybody here who have been to Walla Walla area? Two, three people. Well, my first reaction was, who in his right mind will go to Walla Walla? Because it sounded like the place of the devil curse in Arabic. They told me, no, no, it has nothing to do with that. It's just a native name. It means a land of many waters. My church prayed for me for 13 months. Fasted, many of them fasted once a week. And finally, I was able to go to Walla Walla College. I took engineering, and I worked as an engineer for three months. And then I felt God is calling me to be a pastor. Now, if you are an engineer or a doctor or a nurse, we need you because the best way to reach other engineers is an engineer. The best way to reach a teacher is another teacher. But for me, I felt God has called me to the ministry. So I went back again to Walla Walla and took theology, and I pastored for 21 years. And then I came to the seminary to teach. And if you remember, about 15 years ago, the war between Iraq and the United States started. But about 10 years ago, I have a female cousin who came to this country to do advanced medical training, and she never went again back to Iraq. So 10 years ago, being a female, she decided to go to Iraq to see what happened to our family. Nobody is safe today. But at that time, 
she felt she was safe. She spent a month over there. When she came back, I went to see her. She said, sit down. You will never believe what I am going to tell you. She said, your mom is praising the Lord for your faithfulness every day. I said, my mom kicked me out of home. She said, your mom is praising the Lord for the Sabbath every day. I said, you're not making any sense. She said, your mom now goes to the Adventist church. She is studying with your cousin. She wants to be baptized in the Adventist church. I said, why? What happened? Well, she said, shortly after you left the country, the war between Iraq and Iran started. One million people of my age group died in that war. But she said, you are alive. And then there was a war with, between Iraq and I Kuwait, this little country to the south, and three wars with the United States. But you are alive. Another million people died in, in, that, in the wars with the U.S. Two million altogether. The population of my age are wiped out. But I am alive. I did not know for 30 years. I am alive today because I decided to follow Jesus. My mom, nine years ago, got baptized. And a few months after her baptism, she died. She was diabetic, and there were no adequate medications because of the war. But I'm looking forward to the day when I will see her in heaven. We do have a God who makes all things to work for good for those who love him. I'm going to share with you some lessons. So if you have a piece of paper, write these lessons. If not, just take your bulletin and write on it. First lesson, always be faithful to God, no matter what. Whether you are a seasoned Christian or whether you are a brand new Christian, there will always be temptation. There will always be problems. Determine in your heart to stay faithful to God no matter what. You know, for me, the test was the Sabbath. But every one of us here have some kind of a test we struggle with. And what I want to urge you to do is rather than focusing on these problems, focus on the greatness of our God and determine in your heart that you will follow Jesus no matter what. When the compass of your heart moves, let it move toward Jesus. Surrender everything to him. Your problems, your fears, your difficulties, and just... Have him to be the center of your life. You know, I am ashamed to tell you many times in my life I focus on my problems rather than on his incredible power, rather than on the God who could do the impossible. Did you know that there are seven, seven stories in the Bible that tells us that our God could do the impossible? The first story in the Bible God one day came to a woman who was 91 years old. That's a lot of years. 
She was barren all her life. Her husband was a hundred years old. And God said to her, I'm going to give you a child. You know what she did? She laughed because she thought it was a joke. Because after all, she was a candidate for the nursing home, not the maternity ward. And God gave her the child anyway. Thousands of years later, he came to a virgin. And he said to her, I'm going to give you a child. She believed in him. And she had the privilege of becoming the mother of Jesus. And today, he comes to all of us. And he says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you could move mountains. You could defeat giants. You could do the impossible through the power of God. There is nothing too difficult for our God. Whatever problem you are facing, whatever illness, whatever situation, God is bigger than that. When I was at Middle East College, I went to one of the professors and I said, I need to leave this area and go to the United States to study. He said, don't even think about it. It will never happen. That's impossible. I said, why not? Well, he said, you don't know the language. You don't have money. And he said, these are even the minor problems. I said, what is the major problem? He said, the United States is not giving visas to anybody from Iraq. And then he, he did this. He said, it is easier for Moses to take the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land than for you to go from Iraq to the United States. What a man of encouragement he was. <laughs> Forgetting about the point of the story. It wasn't Moses who did it. It was God who did it. And that same God is available to all of us. Surrender everything to him. Believe in the God who could do the impossible. And that is where you put your focus. The second lesson is to pray like your life depends on it. You know, one of the probably most important things you could learn, whether you are in the faith for 10 years or 10 days, is to learn to connect with Jesus on a regular basis. Every day, learn to walk with him, to read the scripture, to pray, uh, and, and to experience his presence in your life, to experience his power in your life. Prayer is what's going to release that power. I saw the power of God. The church for 40 years is struggling to get Middle East College to be accredited. And they failed. They prayed about it, and God did it. And my church prayed for me for 13 months. And Saddam Hussein, an evil dictator, signed my passport after I got the visa from the United States. Two miracles. I got the visa, and an evil dictator signed it. Because we have a God who could do the impossible. You need to pray like your life depends on it. And then be patient with God. You know, we want things to happen instantaneously, immediately. 
this is what we call the McDonald's syndrome. With, with God, it might take 10 or 20 or 30 years. I'm telling you a story that is 40 years in the making. Here is the most exciting thing I'm going to share with you. One day soon, there will be a table going from here to eternity. And Jesus will be at the head of this table. You will be there. You will be there. And Jesus personally will tell us all how he made all things to work for good for us. I hardly can wait for that day. And then be attentive to hear the voice of God. That's the last lesson I'd like to share with you today. You know, God speaks to us all the time. And there are all kind of circumstances, situations, and through all kind of means. I heard the voice of God through the voice of the Greek Orthodox pastor. And I decided to say yes to the Lord. And my life was never the same after that. I know God is speaking to you today. God brought you here for a purpose, my friend. I'd like to give you an opportunity to respond. We're going to sing the song, I Surrender All. And as the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, I'd like you to come to the front. Maybe you would like to come to the front to tell Jesus, I have had some issues in my life, and I don't want to struggle with them anymore. I want to give them all to you. Maybe you want to come to the front because you just want to tell him, I love you more than anything else. Or maybe you want to come to the front because you have lost your first love and you want to rekindle that. Maybe you have some issues in your life you're struggling with and you don't want to anymore. You want just to give them to Jesus. So let's all stand up and we're going to sing. I surrender all. And as the Holy Spirit speaking to you, just come to the front. Just come to the front and have the other people come behind you. Just 
before we sing the last two, people always ask me, is it really worth it to follow Jesus? I want to tell you, yes, indeed. People from all over the world, from all throughout the ages, add their testimony to mine and say, yes, indeed, it is worth it to follow Jesus. Maybe there is somebody else who would like to confess your love for him. Just come to the front. It's really between you and God. And it is to tell him he means everything to you. Let's sing the last couple verses. the hand of somebody next to you we are all community what bind us together is the love of God is the grace of Jesus Christ is the fellowship of the spirit our father in heaven we surrender everything to you today our fears our ambitions our problems and we are claiming the promise that he that is in us is infinitely greater than he that is in the world Lord, there will be temptation, there will be difficulties, but you are going to help us to stand faithful to you, no matter what. And Lord, in a crowd like this, maybe there is somebody who is discouraged. Lift them up. Maybe there is somebody who is not feeling well. I pray for healing, emotional, physical, or spiritual. And, and maybe some had that wonderful relationship with you at one time, and they have lost it. Lord, I pray that you will restore it back to them. Lord, we have many needs, but ultimately you are our greatest need. So give us more of you and more of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful lunch, and come back at 1.30 uh, for to hear more about what the conference is doing and how you really could get involved. That's the main idea. Welcome.